Good morning. I am Pastor Angel Halstead, and I just want to take an opportunity to welcome you to Mosaic Community Church, Philadelphia. We are a diverse community of people reflecting the diversity of our God. And we are so glad to have you with us and to have an opportunity to share what God is doing in our lives at the church and how God has continued to form us even through these troubling times. We are so glad to be here and to be with you. And we just want you to enjoy the service. We wish everyone a happy Pride Month because we celebrate our brothers and sisters. And we say we see you. And not only do we welcome you, we need you to be a full part of our community. And we want to share life. And so we thank you for coming today and being a part of this service with us. Please enjoy the worship and may God bless you. All my words fall short. I got nothing new. How could I express all my gratitude? I could sing these songs. Ooh. 
I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. I want to take this opportunity to just let folks know that our annual survey is about to be released. And so I want you to be prepared to receive an email, um, a text message first, alerting you that the survey is released, and then you will receive an email with the survey there. Please, please take a few minutes to fill this out. We have some standard questions we're asking, but we're also asking you questions about how you want to come together again as a full community. And so we need to hear from you, especially now, about those things. And it'll help us determine when we get together back in, in, in August or, or, or September, and then how we group together in our worship services um, on Sundays and our small groups and things. So look out for that. It's coming soon. And I so appreciate your taking the time to fill out the survey. Thank you. God bless you. You want to sing Take a Break, Daniel? Take a break. Take another, my brother. Hold on and never let go. No matter what the people of the world may say, hold on and never let go. I want somebody else to Jesus. I This sermon with you today, I've enjoyed this series, The Some of Us. Parker Lamascus started us off so well right after Easter with his sermon on Ecclesiastes 7, 4, 7-12 that started with two are better than one. Why? Because they have a better return on their work. And, and, and it said things like if one falls down, the other person can help him or her up or them up. If we have two on a bed, you'll keep each other warm. And though one can be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And the, the section, that section of scripture concludes with a cord of three strands isn't easily broken. Pointing out that there is strength in community. We started our journey 
um, of the some of us after our study of Begin Again and after our Easter celebration. And I took you all to Amos. There were times during this journey I struggled because I thought Amos might be too much for us, too heavy. And I wondered if I kind of stayed too long in pushing the point of why the kingdom of Israel crumbled. I, I wondered if I was pushing the tragedies of Amos because of my experiences in life as a, a black person, as an African-American woman, as a, a person in my, um, my middle years, and feeling like folks just aren't getting this and we really need to get this. Um, we refuse to see the harm that we're doing to each other. We've got to see that our failures to be inclusive are hurting all of us. The singular strand of whiteness is only strong when no other strands are formed. And if they do form, there's work, they work to keep us apart from one another. The singular strand of whiteness is only strong when it diminishes the capacity of our usness and keeps us infantile or primitive in our in our formation. Parker said that he thought our lead in scripture uh, in Ecclesiastes was the perfect follow-up to Easter. Why? Because we can't have life without there being a death. We can't have new life without having an old life that came before. And we must acknowledge that our need, we must acknowledge our need for a new life. We all need a collective new life. Parker spoke of the apocryphal story of the horroring of hell, which attempts to explain what Jesus did during those three days before his resurrection. He enters hell and charges in through the gates, redeeming the pieces of creation that were farthest from God, redeeming and rescuing the good and leaving the bad. And Parker then took us to Ecclesiastes 1 verse 15, which reads in the NIV version, What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. This verse is not about people because the heart of the gospel is about God straightening us out as individuals and as a collective. God redeeming us, rescuing us for he, God, they created us good. So if this verse isn't about people, then what is it about? What is the meaning of the two are better than one stuff. And, and if we are talking about two being better than one, why are we examining Amos and the failure? And finally, what does all of this have to do with the sum of us? Those are all good questions. Let me begin my answer taking us back to verse 15 in that first chapter of Ecclesiastes. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. We have, what have we gotten from the assortment of people that we have on earth? In practical terms, we have 
Native Americans and lesbians and straight folks and folks of African descent and gays and and folks with limited resources. We have folks whose bodies are helping us to understand that humanity comes in multiple sexes and some of those people are helping to correct our notions of gender. We have feminists and womenists. We have white folks and those of Asian descent and those of the wonderful mixture of Latinx heritages. And we have bisexuals and every other member of the alphabet mafia. We have geniuses, we have regular folks, we have those of us who are divergent. What have we gotten from this amazing assortment of people on the earth? What have, what's been the benefit of us since all humanity was created good? Since according to our understanding of the scripture, each individual and more so uh, the whole, uh, we all corporately bear the image of God, the God who exists in diverse community. What have we gotten from this assortment of life? I can tell you it feels like what we've gotten is a mess, a mess that we haven't known or wanted to know what to do with. The teacher of Ecclesiastes says, what is lacking cannot be counted. In the Message Bible, it reads, what is lacking is a minus that won't add up. What we have gotten in our understanding of the amazing assortment of humanity is a minus that won't add up. All these beautiful people, but we minus them, we subtract them from the equation of life so we don't get the sum of the benefit of us. We continue to deal with so much of what the teacher in Ecclesiastes called meaning, meaninglessness and folly. History, in history we have seen nations rise and nations fall. And even our nation, with its rhetoric about it being the greatest nation of all, is filled with the same follies and lies of the nations that came before. Why is this? Because while crooked and twisted people can be made straight, they cannot make their ways straight when they seek to use what is lacking to do so. What is lacking cannot be counted. What is crooked and twisted in our world's structures and systems cannot be made straight when we are desperately hanging on to the venomous poisons that have infected those systems, those structures. We cannot welcome or we refuse to welcome the new that has come because of the goodness of Christ. We refuse to welcome the good news of the kingdom of God, of God's love and acceptance that gives us place and desires for us to occupy, to take up space in creation. We cannot create and make change from invisible people or people that we've made invisible.
What we've gotten is this. This nation's systems and structures, despite their being this amazing assortment of people, what we've gotten in our nations and this world's systems, structures and systems, is a world that specializes in subtraction and making invisible the full reflection of God's image in the earth. What the teacher of Ecclesiastes definitely got right, despite his depression, despite his despondency, were those words in the beginning that what is twisted cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. You see, we Humanity were given a charge from God who exists as diverse community to be a diverse community that is fruitful, a collective or to collectively make something good from the resources God has given us. This was said to all of us, whether we be red or yellow, whether we be black or white, or all the colors and of people in the Philly pride flag or every social economic strata level that there is, we are all precious in God's sight. You and I together are better than the one structure or system of whiteness. You and I are better than the structures of patriarchy and homophobia. We are more right now joined together than the structures and systems created to separate us. The God who exists as diverse community, parent, child, spirit, calls to us and says, humanity, be like us. Fill the earth so that all creation demonstrates how you collectively reflect our joined or perichoretic image. In Amos, we saw how Israel practiced life together as an us versus them or an us minus them equation. There was a different kind of justice being practiced in the kingdom of Israel. Instead of their justice pursuing, making things right and balanced within their national community, their justice was about it being right to keep the powerful in power. It was about helping those who had plenty get plenty more. Once upon a time, they were called to see the needs of others. Then they started pretending to see and meet the needs of others. And eventually, they stopped pretending altogether. When I think about our nation, it seems we were founded upon what caused the destruction of the kingdom of Israel? You see, their justice wasn't blind, so that all were treated fairly who came before the courts. No, it was blind to the mistreatments of the disadvantaged and blind to the systematic practices that took those without advantage captive and sealed them in a prison of poverty. You see, it seems our nation is founded upon what caused the destruction of the kingdom of Israel. After promising or imprisoning the disadvantaged in poverty, the kingdom of Israel 
though in the kingdom of Israel, those in power, those with power and resources, enslaved their siblings to work for them or sold them to the surrounding nations. The disadvantaged ceased to be seen as members of the family of God and they ceased to be viewed as reflections of God's diverse image. They became tools and objects to be used. And because the advantaged were without restraint, abuse was easy. It seems our nation has not learned the lessons and we've taken on the structure and practices that caused the destruction of the kingdom of Israel. Those in the kingdom of Israel who were caught in the middle, much like our middle class, the merchants and the landowners did not offer fair prices, but used those with less resources to make as much as they could so that one day they too could join the realms of the advantaged. Not contemplating the realities that their increases in profit were decreasing the food and clothing and shelter, those basic needs for the disadvantaged. It seems our nation continues to practice what caused the destruction of the kingdom of Israel. And then the advantage even brought their mess into their place of worship in Israel, in the, the kingdom of Israel, as they reimagined and codified a God who favored them because of the way they interpreted be fruitful and fill the earth. They interpreted it as being productive and subjugating what was not like them. And so, yeah, our structures and our systems in the American church are so like what caused the destruction of the kingdom of Israel. The teacher of Ecclesiastes said, what is twisted cannot be straightened, and what is lacking cannot be counted. But Jesus said it this way when he was accused of casting out uh, Satan or demons by using Satan. He said this, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. We know these words. We've heard these words in sermons repeated over and over again. And inside of us, the Holy Spirit nudges us saying, Yep, that's you all. To us who are members of the American church. And we feel it. We know it. We have lived in a nation that specialized in subtracting instead of adding making people groups invisible. Many in our world, in our world and our nation profess a deep and abiding love for God, but we have brought that us minus them equation into 
Jesus' body, the church, resulting in the codifying of rejection and the separation of the members of Jesus' body. And then we have the nerve to look to God in all the words in our sermons which separate and the prayers that amount to thank you for not making us like them and the songs about how much God loves us and behaviors that isolate us from the world as if they really give honor to God. We have been deceived. And in truth, we have deceived ourselves. And now those of us who see our wrong, who, those of us who don't speak against racism and, and, or are racist, those of us who didn't speak against homophobia or are still homophobic and struggling, those of us who have hoarded our resources from those who have less than we do, we see ourselves, we see ourselves when we are still worshiping the idol of a maleness. We see ourselves when we still seated on the throne of I've got mine or I'm struggling to get mine. You have to struggle to get your own by yourself. We say to another group this line be they Asian or homophobic, uh, or, ho or part of the alphabet mafia. I got mine, you get yours, but we don't come together to get ours. We end up fighting against one another. I call us out, I call myself out. I see myself reflected in that over the history of my life. And for those of us who see our wrong, who have repented and are doing the work that we have to do to create a change in our hearts, we want something different. Not just in the, the singleness of us as individuals, but in our collective humanity. We want something different. We want to limit the impact of those poisons in our structures and in our systems. The, the racism, the homophobia, the, 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 the greed. So we march and we protest. And we want laws created to extend freedoms and give opportunity. But then we find that we're right back at the them, us minus them equation. For as we create laws that recognize freedoms, then it seems like they create laws that take those freedoms away. Why? Why are we doing this? Because we are trying to do this justice work with poisoned, twisted systems and structures. And it's not going to work. It's not going to work in the structures and systems as they exist today. They were formed based on the us minus them and not the us plus them equaling us formula. Our world, our nation. Kingdoms are sustained by structures and systems of existence that are larger 
suprahuman aspects of reality which form the context for human life. Super meaning having much greater powers that are above and beyond that of a normal human. So our structures and our systems become larger than us. In the theology for the community of God, Stanley Grint says, our structures form the dimensions of reality that hold human context and therefore they condition individual and collective human existence. Our structures penetrate daily life so much that their presence can go unrecognized. Let me give a couple of examples. My son is 6'6", six, six, but he's always been tall for his age. And I remember um, our being in a Sunday school class and uh, we came to the break where everybody needed to leave to get refreshments and the lead teacher said, okay, we need a big, strong, strapping person who can lead us. Where are we going to find that person? Who's going to, who, who are we going to get to do that? And he called my son because at five he was tall and he had stature. But he was the youngest kid in the class. He was the newest person in the room. But we we don't recognize when we're worshiping at the altar of mad of maleness because it's part of those twisted systems and structures. Another example, I attended a conference as the executive director of an organization. The program director was with me. Um, it was attended by mostly white people. And the people present engaged my program director as if she was the leader of the organization and they ignored me. And it was clear that she was a woman in her 20s and I had 20 years on her. Um, but they ignored me and assumed that she was the leader. And she kept looking at me and she told me later that all of this made her very nervous because I just stood there and watched and I winked at her once which made her think she shouldn't say anything. But eventually, you know, they asked a question and I answered it. And I answered it with authority and their eyes opened wide. And she said something that, you know, Angel is executive director or something. But again, that unrecognized racism is part of our systems and our structures. Now, I recognize it because I'm oppressed by it. But those who are members and parties to it do stuff like that all the time. The, the structures and the systems are supra aspects, or suprahuman aspects of reality that penetrate our daily lives. They are real and they are twisted. We won't, uh, what doesn't get explained in many church presentations of the gospel is that Jesus came preaching the good news of the kingdom and its structures and its systems, its superhuman aspects of human existence. In offering us 
his life. Jesus came preaching a new way of existing, a new way of being based on a new kingdom. We think we are, are, are helping people to understand the kingdom of God by talking to people about going to heaven. We think we're helping people understand the message of the gospel by helping people understand going to heaven and talking to them about repentance so they can go to heaven. But we make heaven a distraction from the work God is doing in the earth. We tell people in that conversation that they don't have to be concerned with the earth because they're going to heaven. But Jesus came saying, the kingdom of heaven is here. You see, what is twisted cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. It's just not there. In Matthew 4:17, the uh, NIV version, it says, from this time on, Jesus came preaching, repent for the kingdom is near. Change your inner self, your old way of thinking, your regret, your past sins. Now live your life in a way that proves repentance, a complete change, seeking God's purpose for life. For the kingdom is at hand. People can be straightened out, but we need a new kingdom with new ways because the old ones can't be straightened. The Gospels are filled with Jesus' teachings about the structures and systems of the Kingdom of God that are so very different from what exists in our current world, in our current nation. First of all, instead of being a... In, first of all, instead of being a kingdom for the elite, the powerful and the rich. God loves all peoples of the world. God proved this by giving God's Son and anyone who believes in Him can participate in the kingdom and draw it here. Allow it to break in in significant ways. No matter one's status in the current world order or national order, you and I can have a place in the kingdom. God has invited all to relationship with God's self and it's an open invitation. No one is excluded. But in some of our churches, people have long lists of exclusions. First you have to clean yourself up, then you have to act more white and be less black. Don't be gay, don't be socialist, don't be liberal, don't be a, a woman looking for leadership, don't have funny colors in your hair, don't have tats on your body or piercings. We can't have this and we can't be that and a whole bunch of stuff. And because of these long lists, we tend to lie about who we are and how we're living life. Some hide in the existing systems of the church and others fear they can't go near the church, which for them means they can't go near God. So we all, in essence, tie fig leaves together and pretend to be something we're not, to fit in somewhere 
fit in a group that will accept us, but still separate. When God's invitation for the kingdom is to all and for all. Early in this sermon I asked, what do we get in having this amazing assortment of people? What has been the benefit? And the answer was, what we have right now. But the lessons of Ecclesiastes and Amos have been that subtracting people in this life doesn't work. That kind of subtraction will never work. God's criteria for success is mutual benefit and love. And God adds. God adds, not subtracts. And the sum comes out to be that mutual benefit in love, which gives hope. The sum comes out to be the kingdom of God that makes room and gives place for us all or to us all. A new way of being, of organizing our systems and our structures. This is the gift of God. And here's an open secret, which means it's not a secret at all anymore and can be spoken about. Yes, Jesus came preaching the kingdom. He lived and was killed and rose again, saying, All power is given to me in heaven and earth. And we ask the question, power to do what? And the answer is bring about and lead the kingdom. That's what he came preaching. And then he did something crazy. He said, All power is given unto me. But then he said, Y'all go. You all go, therefore, make disciples by teaching them what I've taught you. Go and allow through your living as kingdom people, the kingdom of God to break into the world. We are to do this. It's the church's job. And as surely as Jesus is empowered to do this, so are we. So one of the things we, the church, we need to stop doing is we need to stop preaching about going to heaven. Now that might, might sound like heresy, but Jesus didn't preach that. We have to preach what Jesus preached. We have to invite everyone to this new kingdom and its structures and systems, but we don't. Our current preaching could be thought of as a camouflage or as a distraction of you know, it's tying fig leaves together and hiding out in, with the trees. Distraction. But the people of God, as people of God, we struggle. Because we've crafted things to be this, 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 this imperative to get people to heaven. And we have embraced structures that damage us. We don't even know what church is about anymore. We don't even know why we gather anymore. We've gotten lost and confused and frustrated and tired. And many of us have felt like walking away. But I want to point our attention to a small verse in the Epistle of Ephesians in the third chapter. Paul speaks of how he was called to make plain a mystery, to speak about it openly. 
That mystery was that God was not just calling the Jewish people to repentance, but also God was calling the Gentiles. Meaning God was calling everyone else to repentance. This message was to all of us. And it is to all of us. Repent. Change. Turn around and walk the other way. Because the kingdom is here. Why was God talking about this mystery through Paul? Because God's God intended to use the church to display God's wisdom to the rulers and the authorities and in the heavenly realms. Some of the other versions of scripture says that God would use the church to display God's wisdom to the principalities and powers. How can we do that now with the collective testimony of separation in the church? We've got to repent as a body. Because God wants to use us to speak to those principalities and powers, those structures and systems. But how do we speak to them when we embrace them? This verse has always tied me up. Ephesians 3.10 I felt like I... When I felt like, you know, when people started talking about principalities and powers, somebody talked about demons and it got kind of spooky and I didn't understand. But after years of study, I believe I've come to understand some things about the text and its connection to our structures and to our systems that I want to explore with you in the coming weeks. There's an overarching narrative that connects the verses we've looked at in Ecclesiastes. What is twisted cannot be made straight, and the cord of three strands is not broken quickly. And Jesus' announcement of the kingdom of God, and Paul's writing that God's intent is to use the church to display God's wisdom. When I look at these verses, and so many more, I see what I've been attempting to explain to you today. Our current structures and systems are incompatible with the kingdom of God. The kingdom way of structuring life together for mutual and collective benefit in love. That was that we are stronger together and that God has made room for us all and given us place in the kingdom. We are joined together in, the, in a kingdom that does not subtract or make any person or people group invisible. God through Jesus was and is introducing and directing us to live differently, which means we are to honor God through living in the kingdom in the way God has instructed us to do so. Why? Because God intends to use the way we live and do life together in the kingdom to show the world His wisdom. Wisdom concerning what? This is the conclusion I've come to. This is the sum of us. That our living is to glorify God in the way we love each other the way we structure life, the way we create systems that work toward the mutual benefit of all. We are to stand as beacons of light to the world, shouting, shouting, hey, 
look over here, look at us in our churches and how we've organized ourselves. It can be done on a larger scale. Yeah, it takes work. And there are times when we'll feel like we can do it better. But look, we're doing it. And our people are free. And they can be who they are. And our systems serve us. And we, and when they don't, we take them down and build up others. Because we're clear about the sum of us equaling a life of mutual benefit as we love one another. We're clear about this. The church is supposed to be that kind of community of folks waking up to this reality and working it out. We're supposed to be a miracle witness in the world. And we know we can't do this without God. But we have God and Jesus in our relationship with the Holy Spirit who lives in us. So we have to stop living for heaven and start living for the expression of God's love in the earth, the kingdom of God. In other words, we have got to live as if God is real and is here right now. One of the reasons I'm dismantling my faith is because of so much of the I'll fly away theology and religiosity so I can be free. I understand the kingdom of God is given to us as God's vehicle to change the world. So I want to learn to live and to grow among folks who are expanding the kingdom in their and our collective lives. Not shying away from this truth, but know the truth of the kingdom so much so that it has gotten into every crack and crevice of their our collective being so that it doesn't let us go so we don't let it go so i think we are looking for our people who are seeking our god and asking god to show up and release the kingdom in us so we can live this life of mutual benefit and love. And so that might mean that we protest together and it might mean that we share meals together and help each other create gardens and build fences and that we create order and structure differently in our church so that, that, that people can shine and needs can be met and that we are looking to work toward the mutual benefit, the joy of being together. It may mean that we help Kids that are not our own learn math or knitting or we mentor people in, in, in the skills that we have or we start micro-businesses with our youth. It means that we live and do life together. Even as we study the Bible and a Bible study or we read another book and see how that book, what God uses it to teach us about life together. It means that as Parker says, we die and let die what was old so the new can come.
and we stand in our uncertainty about the form and shape that that the new will take, but we stand together knowing God has given us the kingdom to make visible in the earth. And our confidence, our certainty is in God. This is my hope. This is what I really believe God's intention is for us. It's time for us to let go of what has not worked, what has harmed us. And for us to discover through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the miraculous power of God being with us, what God has chosen to replace it, this system with. For us to discover and live as kingdom people and beckon everybody to the life, the joy, the mutual benefit that we found in Him. May God bless us as we consider this teaching and God's Word.
everything praise the lord in the working in the waiting let it praise the lord in the blessing in the breaking come on praise the lord in the dying the rising let it praise the
Death into life everlasting 
His word shall not fail you, He promised. Believe Him and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying, His perfect salvation to Upon you.